Hi everybody and welcome back to the Unofficial Guide to Medicine podcast. My name's Lauren and it's really great to have you all listening in with us. So today we're going to be continuing our four-part series on everything about general practice. Our special guest is Dr Tang, a GP registrar in the Thames Valley with an interest in medical education and evidence-based medicine. She's a college tutor for preclinical and clinical medicine at the University of Oxford and editor for the Unofficial Guide to Medicine. Today's podcast is going to be on what is life like as a GP post-CCT and hopefully we'll give you some top tips on developing your career after training. Welcome back to another The Unofficial Guide to Medicine podcast. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to be talking about different things that you can do post-CCT. What are the different types of GP? So I think there's a lot of things that you can do post-CCT in general practice. When considering the different types of work, I guess we could try to classify it in terms of the setting. So you could work in the traditional GP practices. You could work for out-of-hours providers. So the care after 6.30 and before 8 a.m. And you could potentially work for private GP companies like Push Doctor, for example, which are becoming increasingly popular. You could also classify the post-CCT work as what kind of work you're doing. So you, of course, have the traditional face-to-face roles that we always had before the pandemic. There's increasingly a lot of telephone and video consultations and remote working. And for certain types of work, like with out-of-hours providers or private GP work, there are also options to just be doing home visits, for example. And you could also classify the type of work by the contract or employment type. So of course, there's your locum or freelance work. You could be a GP partner with ownership of the practice, or you could be a salary GP. So how does being a locum work? So being a locum doctor essentially means that you're self-employed or you could trade as a limited company. And there's a number of benefits and disadvantages to this. So I guess the main benefit as a locum is you're your own boss, so you can do whatever you want to do. So for example, if you wanted to take four weeks off in the middle of summer to go to Disneyland, then you can do that and no one can stop you. There is no competition for annual leave there because you're your own employer. You can also set your own rates, which you could choose to adjust depending on where you're working and what time of the year you're working. On the whole, you are likely to make more money working as a locum than as a salary GP. As a self-employed sole trader or a limited company, you can also claim more expenses and that would obviously reduce your tax bill. If you're not familiar with how to do your taxes, definitely get an accountant. It's worth your money. In terms of the disadvantages, I think the main one for locums is that there's no guarantee of work. And this was very obvious during the pandemic earlier this year. Just because you want to work six sessions this week doesn't mean there will actually be six sessions available. The work might not be when you want it, where you want it, and you might have to travel a lot. Practices may also choose to not pay your rate. So you could say, I want X amount of money, but people may feel that you're not worth that much and you won't get work for that price. Another thing to consider is that as someone that's self-employed, you have no employment rights, which means that you won't have sick leave, you won't have annual leave, and you don't have study leave. Now, locums would generally account for this lack of sick leave, annual leave, and study leave by setting higher rates, which are more than that of salary GPs. 
if you were planning on locuming full time, then you should definitely consider taking out things like uh, critical illness cover and income protection. So how would you go about finding work as a locum? There's lots of different ways to find locum work. So you could join locum agencies, which would help you find work. And obviously the work that they help you find would potentially be at a slightly lower rate because they will need to take a percentage of your pay to cover their own fees. Some locums would choose to join the NASGP, which is an association for primarily locums and sessional GPs. And they have a program called Locum Deck, which would help you find and manage bookings. And through the NASGP, you can also join local chambers, which provides support with networking with practices, other locums in the area for professional support, as well as revalidation activities. And as always, you can contact practice managers at each individual surgery directly. I think when looking for a locum work, you should consider setting terms and conditions and asking what a session consists of, because the number of patients seen in a session at one surgery can be quite different to another. And it's worth setting terms and conditions to ensure that you're considered self-employed because that would have tax implications. And it's worth doing this also to ensure that everyone has an understanding of how cancellation of sessions would work. So how does being a salary GP work? So the key thing about being a salary GP is that you're an employee. So that means you have the benefits of a anticipatable fixed monthly salary with a regular work schedule at the same place. So if you have lots of things to plan in your life, like kids and mortgages, then that would make life potentially quite a bit easier. And as mentioned before, locums don't have employment rights, but as a salary GP, you would have those employment rights. So that is annual leave, maternity leave, redundancy pay, and sick leave for up to six months on full pay and six months on half pay, depending on how much service you've had in the NHS up until that point. I think the next point could be considered both a benefit and a disadvantage. So as a salary GP, you don't have much involvement in the business decisions and the practice and where the practice is going in terms of the direction of travel. So it could potentially be disheartening if you wanted to be involved in those things and you had strong opinions about what the practice should or should not be doing. But at the same time, making these decisions means an extra time investment. And as a salary GP, you won't need to invest that time in it. So whether it's a benefit or a disadvantage depends on your own thoughts on this. Other disadvantages of being a salary GP, well, because you get all those employment rights and the sort of fixed work, schedule, then your pay is typically slightly less than being a locum. And because you have a fixed work schedule, you can't just go to Disneyland for four weeks if you wanted to. So you'd have to get approval and it's probably unlikely you'll get four weeks off. I think if you were to want to get a salary GP contract, it's important to negotiate the contract. So look for the obvious things like what the salary is, which is very variable depending on which part of the country you're in and what experience you've got. Ask about what a session consists of and make sure it's something that's realistic. A session at one surgery may have 15 patients and four phone calls. A session at a different surgery may have 20 patients and include home visits. Maybe there is admin time, maybe there is no admin time, so always ask. Other things to consider, check whether the indemnity is going to be paid for you or not because that is a significant cost. Check what sort of study leave and annual leave entitlement you've got. And particularly important as we're in a pandemic right now and we're all vulnerable to becoming ill, check the start date of your 
NHS continuous service because that has implications on how much sick leave at full pay and half pay you're entitled to. So how does being a partner at a GP surgery work? So I think one of the key things about being a partner is that you, along with the other partners, would have the final say about decisions that are made at the practice. So I think the key benefit for this would be that you've got an opportunity to make the practice your own. And partners generally tend to stay at the same practice for a number of years. So you can really see how your decisions change the practice and it will theoretically reflect your own values eventually. In terms of the disadvantages, it is a long-term commitment and you will need to make additional commitment outside of your clinical sessions to the managerial aspects of the practice. So for example, if there are disputes within the team, you will be responsible for managing that usually with the assistance of your practice manager. As a partner, you have to consider that there is additional liability and personal risk, which is not present with being a salaried or locum GP. And normally when you enter a partnership agreement, there is a buy-in or potentially a period of two to three years before you reach parity. So the financial benefits of being a partner may not be immediately seen. How much can you expect to be paid for each of these roles? Salary varies a lot depending on where in the country you're working and what time of the year you're working. So as a locum, the daily salary could be anywhere between probably around £450 to up to £800 a day. As a salary GP, you can expect to make around eight to ten and a half thousand per session. So to put that in perspective, you normally do two sessions per day and a full-time GP would be working the equivalent of nine sessions, although the majority are not working that many. And as a partner, the average full-time equivalent salary is around 110000 So it is slightly more than as a salary GP, but obviously this is practice dependent. And if the practice is not as profitable, then that would be reflected in your own salary because that sum is not fixed. So you said that majority of GPs don't work nine sessions. Does that mean that you can work part-time quite easily? You definitely can work part-time and the majority of GPs that I have worked with are working part-time. Lots of people work five or six sessions a week, some do a bit more, but I have to say I don't think I've ever worked with the GP that does the full nine sessions. I've heard the term portfolio GP being used. Do you mind kind of telling us what that is? So it's a term that's being increasingly used and as the name suggests, it's basically a portfolio of roles. I think it's quite a good thing because a lot of studies have suggested that if you spend 20% of your time doing things that are slightly different and things that really interest you, you're going to be more motivated, stay interested in your work, and it reduces burnout, which is obviously a big problem in the medical profession. So in terms of portfolio careers, most GPs would have a primary job. So that may be a locum salaried or partnership role. And then they have additional work that's tailored to their individual interests. So for example, some GPs will have special interests that they do special clinics for. Some will be involved in teaching, whether that be at the medical school or within GPVTS schemes. Some will be appraisers for the annual revalidation and appraisal work. Some GPs may work in prisons. Some may work as medical legal advisors. 
Some might work as a team doctor for sporting events, some might do commissioning works for their local CCGs, and some might do research. It's up to the individual to decide how much time they want to spend in each of these roles, and you can have more than one of these roles, and collectively that makes for a portfolio career. So what are GPs with special interests? I believe they're technically now called GPs with extended roles, actually, but they are essentially GPs with special interests. So they work within day-to-day -day primary care as generalists, but so they may have areas in which they have additional training in which they may run special clinics for. That special interest can be in any area, although the really common ones tend to be things like MSK or dermatology. If that's something that interests you, it's worth checking locally how you can become one. There is a framework for accreditation available on the RCGP website that you can look at, but it broadly consists of how you need to demonstrate that you've acquired the knowledge, skills and competencies in the area. And that's normally through either documented supervision or training through a logbook. So thank you. We found that really useful. I hope that that's given all of our listeners an idea of what different things you can get involved with in a career in general practice. Thank you everybody for listening. We have one more podcast with Dr. Tang, so make sure that you tune in next week where we'll be doing a Q&A using the questions that you provided on Instagram and Twitter. We advertise all of these podcasts on social media, so make sure you give us a follow as you'll definitely not want to miss an episode. See you next week.